Welcome to the Geek Bits Podcast with your hosts, Mike, David, and Craig. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Geek Bits Podcast. Uh, you have myself, Craig Bowes. I'm actually in my home right now because um, we think my uh, wife may have had COVID. So I'm not able to be in the studio with David and Mike, but we have uh, David Murray guy, and Mike Murray from the Geek Pub. And we are on episode four. Is that, is that right, Mike? You got it. For today. And um, today we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. Um, which is the relationship between video games and tabletop role-playing games. And this goes beyond, um, you know, just if you're actually playing a computer role-playing game, this could be an action game. Um, the, I think the whole video game industry has been influenced by tabletop role-playing games. So um, if you want, I can kind of kick it off with my experiences with games. And I've got some props here to show some of the old-timers like to give off some nostalgia um, that's interesting to people. Awesome. Awesome. I love your UNT mug there. So yeah. <laughs> nice, nice school. Um, so <laughs> so uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, kick us off. I, I'm, I'm really thrilled. This is, I think going to be one of my favorite uh, episodes and I know you're really passionate and you were into this a whole lot more than I mm-hmm. was as, as a kid. And, but I have a lot of, it's like, in fact, a lot of your, um, uh, childhood impacted my later years because you taught me about a st- bunch of stuff I didn't know about. And so, yeah, k- kick us kick us off and let's go. Yeah, great. Um, so um, if you hadn't heard, um, computer games were influenced by tabletop role-playing games. But, um, you know, there was this um, these two hobbyists that basically in their basement um, were playing with miniatures and they had special rules and they had this this game called Chainmail. Um, and some of our, our listeners will know the, the history behind this already, but this was uh, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax. And so there was, they were playing with uh, little battlefields and you know 3D maps and figurines and stuff like that. And then at some point they're like, what if we made this more of a story game? Um, and that became something called Dungeons and Dragons. Um, which, of course, spawned a whole industry of tabletop role-playing games with dice and maps and stories. And I've been playing this stuff uh, literally, you know, since I was a kid. Um, But I actually did not get started with that, probably like a lot of people. I got started with role-playing games through the computer, and I only got into tabletop um, role-playing games uh, pretty quickly afterwards, but like maybe... A year afterwards. Craig, I, I have to tell you, I just learned something about you just now because I would have swore it was the opposite direction. Yeah, I thought so, <laughs> no. too. I thought he was already into that stuff. Yeah. No, it was actually um, computer games that got me into it. So the first computer game I ever had, my dad um, got me this, and this oh, is the original um, album the cover. The Standing then, Stones. Back then, yeah, computer but... games from uh, EA used to come in these nice album covers, and you could see like the very pixelated graphics there. Um, so for and those that just... are not, so those that are not watching on YouTube, uh, he's holding up a game box of the Standing Stones, which was 
actually, I remember going over to Craig's house when I was like six or seven, seeing him play that on his Commodore 64, because Mike and I still had a VIC-20, and we were, you know, just the intro title screen alone, was just, I was like, Oh yeah, wow, that's I was amazing. like amazed. Like Craig was my like like idol and hero that he had a Commodore sixty four, yeah. and it was and the music it had like really good music and and quite honestly the game's not all that advanced. I mean like future Even games for we'll the talk time. about in a minute are far yeah. yeah far more advanced, but it was still it was the I'd never seen anything like it before and I loved it. And then I I, I personally have played the game like a million times since then. But uh, but yeah, it, it's it's that is probably one of my fondest memories that Dave, the one David's bringing up right now of, of my childhood with you, Craig. <laughs> well, and to me, it was such a big deal because my my dad went out and just got me this game out of nowhere. I don't think it was a Christmas or birthday present or whatever, and I was hooked on it. And if you if you don't know the Standing Stones, it's it's like a lot of it's kind of a simplified version of a lot of other games from that era. Um, it's it's a dungeon crawl. It has kind of line graphics to make the dungeon and then some pixelated graphics for the monsters. And they're not animating or anything. Uh, they're just kind of standing there. And then the rest of it is text. Um, now, did your dad know anything about role-playing games when he bought this? No. What, do, do you know why he picked it? Just he may have sensed that I was kind of maybe had an interest in fantasy at the time or may have just been what kind of looked neat. You know, actually probably what it was is the game itself had a lot of humor. Like um, for those on YouTube, you can see like <laughs> the artwork that. in there. Yeah. <laughs> but like to, it kind of gives a story. It's kind of a King Arthur, find the Holy Grail at the bottom of the dungeon kind of thing. But at the end, it's like, um, it's just something like, um, uh, what does it say? Innocent of the powers and treasures of that earlier time. And then it goes, Fine, it's your life. Just don't come whining to us about how terrible it was down there. So, <laughs> and then there, it has magic spells and hit points and levels, but some of the spells have goofy names. Like you're, you're throwing the spells, and one of the spells is kitchen sink. So you're throwing the kitchen sink at them. Um, and you have a dispel, which was a D&D spell for like getting rid of magic, like clearing magic out of the area. But then you have yeah. death spell. So dispel and death spell. I'm not saying it was good humor, but it was humor nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. probably what my dad picked up on. He was probably, that's pretty funny. But I was just glued to this thing, not knowing the, the DNA behind the Standing Stones, which came from Dungeons and & Dragons and Tunnels and & Trolls and other tabletop role-playing games. Um, so how, how did you find out later? Or, or, or if you're going to get to that, then just say, hold on. But hmm. um, how did so I how, find how out you, later? How did you find out later, you know, that this was all related to tabletop games? Did, did you have like an epiphany at some point or did some one of your friends go, oh, Craig, you're just playing Dungeons and Dragons on your computer? I'm not, like, how did you, how did you? I mean, I out? read about the history years and years later um, and some of the history of the, early, you know, games that were older and earlier than this, that like, you know, Aklabath and, you know, some of those, you know, Zork and Infocom games kind of had a little bit of this. They sort of had inventory, but not levels or hit points. But I just remembering this all kind of being the same thing. Like it all seemed natural that, you know, computer games were going to borrow from tabletop games and tabletop games were going to borrow from computer games. And I, I think as a kid, I was just happy to be exposed to all of it. I just found all of it fascinating. I don't think yeah, I knew yeah. really which came first, uh, you know, until much later. So maybe this would be a good time for me to give my little anecdote, kind of answering the same question. Yeah, yeah. 
So uh, my first exposure, well, I'm going to back up a minute. Uh, (laughs) So when we were kids, uh, our uh, dad uh, was uh, fond of a television show many of you may recognize called The 700 Club, which is a kind of like a news show for uh, Christianity, I guess. uh, I don't know if it's if I don't know if it's all encompassing for all different uh, denominations or if it's I don't, I'm not quite sure, but uh, you know, much like any news show, whether it's um, you know uh, secular or or religious, they're they're looking for sensa- sensational stories because it brings in the ratings. You yeah, know, yeah, so, manufactured rage. It gets you know, people to watch. And <laughs> so they had an episode about Dungeons and Dragons, about how satanic it was, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so in our house, Dungeons and Dragons had a very uh, negative connotation about it. Our Dad talked to us about D and D several he, times. He actually sat us down at the kitchen table and probably had about a forty-five minute talk with us mm-hmm. about how terrible this game was, and if any of our friends were playing it, don't let them drag you into it, and all kinds yeah. of stuff. And I, at the time, didn't even know what the hell he was no, talking I didn't, about. Like, I didn't. I don't know what. <laughs> I didn't know what it was either. And he was talking about how it makes people go crazy and go kill people and do all kinds of satanic rituals and all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, oh man, that must be really, really bad. And, you know, so like I said, it was D&D was kind of like a dirty word in our house for, for many years. And the irony behind that is I'd been playing it the whole time because right. I'd been playing Ultima. And I did not understand at the time that Ultima was basically like a knockoff, a computerized version of D&D. And so it's, it's sort of funny. My epiphany moment was um, I had started dating this uh, girl in, in high school. Her name was uh, Renee. And she was big into D and D, and I kind of discovered this, you know. I can totally when I, see that. <laughs> when I, when <laughs> I, I knew first Renee, went, yeah. Yeah, when I first went to her house and and saw her room, it was full of all kinds of little dragon figurines and stuff. And she told me how she was really into dragons and 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 of course Dungeons and Dragons, whatever. And of course, you know, when she said that, immediately I was kind of like a red flag went off, like, oh no, that's that thing we were warned about as kids or whatever. But, you know, at that point, it had been many years, probably 10 years had passed mm-hmm. or whatever. And I was like, well, you know, let, let's see. Not only that, obviously, I don't want to say anything bad about it because, you know, hey, I'm trying to, you know, uh, impress this girl. <laughs> you know? yeah, and, right. Uh, I'm not going to say something bad about her. Priorities, hobby, David. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, you know, at some point or another, you know, a few weeks later, uh, she invites me to come play D&D with her and her D&D friends. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'd be interested to see what it's all about. Well, so there's two things I have to tell you about this experience of playing D&D with her and her dungeon master and some of her friends. First of all, first and foremost, I thought it was boring as hell. I'm just going to throw that out there. Now, Craig, of course uh, David would think it's boring. I'm just, just no, going to throw that out it's there. it's fine. It's and dead to me, but that's all right. I, you know, I we tried, don't like you, you know, obviously, because, you know, uh, girl and all that kind of stuff, I tried my absolute best to pretend that I was interested because, you know, I didn't want to hurt my chances of, uh, you know, um, the relationship. Um, but, you know, the thing is, part of the reason that I found it boring, it, it brings me to point number two, is that I immediately recognized the similarity between this and the Ultima that I'd been playing for years on the computer. And I think the reason I found it boring is because I feel like, hey, I've already been playing the next evolution of this. You guys are still playing the outdated version from decades earlier when people were from the dumb ages when yeah. they didn't have computers. David's driving the Ferrari around town and they're still in the right. horse with the whip, you know, you know buggy and whip. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so I think that's why I found it boring is, um, 
is because, like I said, I just moved, I, I'm already beyond that with, with what I've been, but, but nevertheless, it was an interesting epiphany to realize, because at some point it occurred to me, it's like, hmm, this obviously came first, Ultima must have been based on this, and uh, many of the other Which it was. as well, and it was, and as I found out later, yeah. it was, so, um, and of course, but I will also throw in there. Uh, to say that after I saw what Dungeons & Dragons was, and of course realized that I'd already been playing it essentially anyway for like most of my life at that point, um, I kind of <laughs> really blew off the whole like it's all satanic you know, stuff that our dad had told us about because yeah, yeah. I, I quickly realized that it's nothing like you know what he thought it was. So, <laughs> In fairness to your dad, there was a whole satanic scare, and I, I'm going to hold up the, the box to Ultima 3. So if you haven't seen Ultima 3, three cover art it's a demon it's a very hell looking <laughs> demon so you and, know what's hilarious about this and i'm gonna before i even say it sorry richard right. Garriott, but i pirated ultimate three because i right. was a little we kid didn't and I see the, it. the cover i never knew what the cover was the cover was never yeah. in our house and so dad would have never seen yeah. anything because it was all on the computer had you and i had that box and dad had found it in our room oh my gosh i could only imagine what yeah. would happen if yeah. he'd seen that because it like i will agree with mike i never knew what the cover even looked like and that that well, cover is nowhere on the game itself like you never see that yeah in the intro yeah it's not in like the that. computer graphics or anything i mean they're very yeah. primitive but that was the next role-playing game that I played was Ultima 3 that I just showed. And similar to David, like, I think I started playing Dungeons & Dragons right about the time we started playing Ultima 3 together. Our, our friend Roy gave us a copy, so I think he, he gave you and I a copy, Mike, and then David, you probably inherited it from Mike when he went home and copied it for you. And we were all playing Ultima 3. And then I found out about Dungeons and Dragons, but I don't, it sounded amazing to me. I was like, oh, so you do this in your head. And I'd already been reading a lot of fantasy. So I had kind of this love of fiction and, and storytelling and things like that. So when um, there was nobody in my neighborhood that played D&D or anything. So I had been playing Ultima 3 and I actually got a story about your dad with Ultima 3, but I want to mention this first. My mom got me the box set, which... I'm holding up the, the red book. Most of you had to, that started with D&D about the same age as I am. Mm -hmm. One of the books was called The the Red Box. Um, now, is that your original book or is this a one you bought off this eBay is, recently? <laughs> this is my, uh, this may be an extra copy that a friend gave me from school, but I do have my original Dungeon Master's Guide and Player's Guide that came with the red box set. I don't have the dice or the box, um, but this was, these are called the basic rules. And they're really simple. And there was nobody in my neighborhood to play this. Um, so I just read all the rules, was completely confused, but wanted to try it anyway. <laughs> and then I rounded up my brother and this kid down the street and maybe one or two other people. And I played my first D&D &D game and we were in a dungeon and there were traps and monsters. And we all loved it. They all ate it up. And I was probably 12 so years old. So it's time. interesting to me because Craig, you—I mean, you tried to get me into into that around the same time period, I think, and because uh, we <laughs> lived um, uh, down the street. Like, I don't know if everybody knows, but but Craig lived down the street from David and I. Uh, actually, at a couple of different times at a couple of different houses, um, and. So my first experience, because I remember sitting there in your in your I think it was your living room um, in your in your mom's house there, and um, we you started going through the game and you were the dungeon master. I didn't know anything about what was going on. And what, I, but what I remember is 
and I didn't realize until I'd played the first game with you. I thought there was like this book and you were going to read from this book and we were going to go through like a story that was all pre-outlined right. and ready to go. And, and basically you were just going to be the one that decided whether or not, you know, when we turned the page in the book, did I do the right thing? And the book was going to decide. But what I didn't know about Dungeons and Dragons was that actually you're kind of just making it up as you go along and you're deciding. And I think that's the well, thing. Well, actually that... it's a little bit of both. Um, Is it? Even back then. Yeah. So um, you have, um, like in this, in the, the basic set, it has an adventure in it. Um, and it's got a kind of a choose your own adventure kind of thing, like go to number 13 or number 10 in the story. And it has maps and, and stuff like that. So you can kind of see what's going on. But that was just so like somebody could play it and kind of get the rules down just playing by themselves without a dungeon map. Yeah. Which yeah. is probably well, what I did. But yeah, well, well the reason people, that I'm bringing. Sorry, Sorry, there's a little yeah. lag. For those that are listening um, or watching online, there's a little lag on the on the Zoom meeting, so we kind of talk over each other every now and then. Um, so the reason that I'm bringing that up, though, Craig, is that um, I think my brain had been programmed because I had been playing, like like David mentioned earlier, Ultima and Standing Stones and stuff like that. And I my brain, as a child, had been programmed to the computer's going to make all the rules and it's going to be 100% right. fair for everyone playing and nothing mm. can happen outside of that pre-designed, very rigorous set of rules in the computer. And so when I was playing with you and all of a sudden I would do something and I'm thinking, ha, 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 this is gonna, this is going to win the game, Craig would magically come up with this thing that happens and this <laughs> trap door opens in the ceiling and things come out. And like, like, you're just making that... Okay, I'm gonna say it. you're just making that shit up, <laughs> you right? Know, right? And I didn't like it at first, and it took me probably three or four or five times of playing D and D before I'm like, oh, okay, I can I I can get into this, and I can like loosen up and get out of the rigor that my brain had around it being a computer based game. So I, well, I, I had the same kind of... perception when I started. Yeah, that it was mm-hmm. very rule based and very much you go from point A to point B to mm-hmm. point C, and then. And when you can do a lot of that with modules that kind of predefine areas in a town or a dungeon or whatever, but you can also, and you you almost always have to make something up, but some people don't prep at all. Like I'm <laughs> very much an improv. Like I have just kind of this vague story outline when I'm playing with like with my kids or my brother to this day, I'll just kind of have this basic story idea. And it's like, if you want to go ask the beggar what his problem is, you can. But if you don't want to just walk by them and keep going on to something else, I'll just come up with it. Yeah, I'll just so figure it I, out. I would just want to kind of confirm what Mike said. And I, when I played with my girlfriend in high school, that was my observation as well. I at first thought that it was a um, a game with, with hard rules and like the Dungeon Master was kind of like the banker in Monopoly. You right, know, exactly. You have right. very strict rules, what you have to do. But I kind of realized over time that they are kind of making this up as they go along. In fact, that's one of the reasons I didn't like it. Because I felt like, you know, the computer offered you a universe where there's strict laws of physics, basically, for lack of a a better analogy, that you have to adhere to, which I felt like when you're dealing with people, like, it could be unfair, as you say, you know, biased. Biased. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's plenty of horror stories about a mean DM that just wants to kill off, you know, the entire party of people, or he doesn't like one particular, that guy stole my girlfriend, you know. So he kills off <laughs> David's character because David stole his girlfriend, you know, from high school. You know, you have horror st- stories like that. But some of the but rules are very strict even back then. Like, I also didn't like the way I noticed a lot of the people that came to the event uh, in high school. like To play. 
they had their own characters and they came into the room and they're like, here's what my character has. Like they would kind of like an Ultima, like you have like a certain number of hit points and you have a certain levels of, you know, different virtues and stuff like that or, or and, and dexterity and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's like they brought this into the the game saying, well, this is what my character has. And I'm like, well, how do we know you really <laughs> earned all that in previous yeah, games? Awesome. I could have just as easily walked into this room and said, well, my character's got this, 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 you know? So I kind of felt also a little um, alienated by that as well because there's a certain trust factor that I yeah, felt like you had yeah. to have there. Of course, there was many players that just fudged their character roles and like what they had and stuff like that. Usually you know even back then but like to today like i play with a certain group i'll play with my brother and his wife or my wife her friend and um you kind of know that they didn't fudge the characters because they started with you as the dm and you as the (laughs) other players like i saw you build your character at the same time i was building my character and we all kind of started this game together so it's everybody's kind of on the same level you know literally and metaphorically like um (laughs) They're starting from the same place. They're got the same history and stuff like that. So that always made it easier than just like the kid down the street that's got the level twenty mage and and you're a level one thief and you know like well how did you get to level twenty and you know you cast <laughs> yeah. cast fireballs in your sleep and things like that. Well, this uh, this episode that the title of it is is how RPGs you know shaped uh, computer games you know. Um, so when do you think that started? Because I mean, it, like, if you look back at some of the like early games, they're all like really text based. And what was the one that um, there was one really? I, I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. It was really popular, uh, but it was Rogue. Was that it? Was called Rogue. Rogue. Yeah, I think that was one it was of the all first ASCII ones I ever characters. saw. ASCII characters. Like, like, tell me what you think about how that kind of evolved over time. Because I, I know you played way more of those games than I ever did. Yeah, so I I didn't play Rogue until much later. I played it on a friend's PC, even though they had it for Commodore, but I I never had a copy of that. Um, But yeah, all of these, you know, different things that you see in games even today, things like health or hit points, mana or magic points, you know, your different attributes like strength or agility or dexterity or whatever, they all have their roots in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and so Dungeons and Dragons, even if you're playing an action game now, um, I mean, I'm thinking of like Shadow of Mordor, um, which is kind of, still kind of old, an older game, but, you know, mo- more modern than the stuff we're talking about. Um, lots of role playing elements, you know, skill trees and, um, you know, progression and stuff like that. But very early on with Rogue, um, I'm trying to think if there was an, another one of that era. Um, well, I want to throw one out there. It might be a little from a little later era than Rogue, and and I was just sitting here thinking about it, and and it's funny because this game, now that I I think about it, is extremely heavily influenced by role playing game or D and D or whatever. But you wouldn't think of it immediately as being that way because they've changed the uh, environment to where it's no longer fantasy, which is the Oregon Trail. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> So if you think about it, the Oregon Trail is basically D and D that's been cowboys turned into cowboys, right? You you got know. it right. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it, it's just it a different has, theme um, on it. Yeah, it has stats. Um, you don't have characters quite in the same way, but you do. You sort of have a group of characters you're trying to keep alive. Yeah. But it's more of like you have five settlers left or ten settlers left, yeah. and 
people could get diseases and stuff like that. But there's there's definitely some crossover between dysentery. I was going to say, don't say diseases. We know what disease it is. It's it's dysentery. (laughs) The other aspect that I was thinking, like, um, and I'm sure a lot of people know this this story, but you you know, your dad being scared of role playing games and the the whole satanic scare of the '80s with rock music and heavy metal and and Dungeons and Dragons and all that. Um, that, you know, I just showed the ultimate three box and it has a big demon and the, the creator of that Richard Garriott, um, got a lot of hate mail from angry parents over this we're, issue. They're we're like, going to get Richard stuff. on our podcast so he can talk about that hate mail <laughs> any day now, but he, his next game, Ultima four brought in these ideas of virtues and things like that, that was one of the earliest video games you know, to kind of deal with like moral issues. Um, so, and I think that's, I, I'm sorry. sorry I, ahead, just, I just had to interrupt. I've, I've never met yeah. Richard Garriott, but I've held one of his chickens. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Really? That is a weird is thing to brag about. I know. It's a, such a bizarre <laughs> thing. What is the name of that? Uh, um, Castleton where I went, is it called Castleton? I thought it had yeah. a different name. Um, well, that's, that's kind of where the chickens Austin. were that I, yeah, in Austin. Austin. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was in an episode I did for those that don't know, where I I drove to Austin to explore some tech history there, and we went and visited some of Richard Garriott's property with with some other people that had permission to be there, and uh, yeah, I I picked up one of Richard's chickens because Richard was gone at the time. He was in uh, Europe, I think. London, at the time, I think. Yeah. I think it was France. France. Oh, France. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm on camera holding one of one of Richard's chickens. That's the closest I've ever gotten to Richard. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're going we're going to we're going to figure out how to uh, how to get him on the podcast. That would that would be a good one. The the funny thing you were talking about your dad earlier and his you know, fear of Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. I remember being in the car and we had just gotten, we had purchased Ultima 4, but had made copies for you, me, and Roy. Mike, I don't know if you remember that. I like do. we'd all pitched in. Sorry, Richard, we pirated it, but we, at least we- I eventually bought it. And in fact, I think yeah. I, no, that's five. I have a copy of four, I promise. <laughs> but we were in the car, the three of us were in the car with your dad on the way to your house. So you were living in Rendon and you were picking me up from, Mansfield, and we we're going to do an all-nighter of Ultima Four, this brand new game we had gotten. Mm-hmm. And um, I started; I had already played a little bit of it, and I mentioned my character got killed in the swamp because the swamps were poisonous. And your dad laser focused on that word, that phrase, "my character," uh, because in Dungeons and Dragons you create a yep. character. And I had been—I yep. don't know if it was because I'd played a little bit of D and D by that time, or just that's kind of what the role-playing games on the computer were doing. They were calling them characters because of that, those roots. But your dad is like, nope, you guys are not playing that game. It's going to stay in the car. Um, and we were so bummed. But the irony, he was like, he he made us not play Ultima 4. He, we had to leave it in the car. And instead, we went back and played Ultima 3 all night, <laughs> which was the more vicious of the game where you could just oh, kill absolutely. townsfolk and steal absolutely. from shopkeepers and all that. And so Ultimate I was, was telling the more moral game. Yeah. I was telling David before um, we, we, we started this, that um, Ultima three is actually the very first computer game as a, as a child that I actually played all the way through and won. And I was so proud of myself um, when I did that. 
such a great game. I, do, I actually did not remember that story. Like I do now that you that you say it. That's funny. We're talking in the previous podcast about how the brain works and things like that. And I guess some of the memories are still there. I just forgot you know it exists. But um, yeah, he he was. I remember he was really adamant we were not going to play that game. And uh, and then I don't know what happened. I think you just snuck it to me or something. And of course I played it after. Oh, that. Oh, far <laughs> later we were just like, oh, we're going to play know. it regardless. Yeah. But he was like, Mike, you, you can explain why we have beliefs about this game. You can explain to him why you, you can't play it. It sat in that car for at least 24 hours. Yeah, I, I man, <laughs> that brings back memories that I had completely forgotten about. And, and it was so funny, too, because Richard Garriott specifically made Ultima 4 where you had to become a good person. Like, mm-hmm. And D&D has sort of this problem, like D&D has this concept of alignment where you can be good or evil and, you know, they layer on like lawful or chaotic or something in between, you know, you have these different alignments, but you don't have to play good characters. It's kind of hard to play good characters. Like if your friend is playing an evil character and you're playing a good one, um, that can be a little difficult because your, your values are going to collide. But in Ultima four, um, you have to be a good person. I mean, you can try it, you can kill the townsfolk, but it's, the game is going to penalize you and it's going to be, I routinely went into towns and tried to kill the guards, kill Lord British, kill, like every, right. every uh, you know person I could find. And I did it too. And it, it wasn't because I was trying to be evil. It was just out of curiosity. Like, I want to see what Wh- happens. What happens. Yeah, what happens. Know, it's, not, right. it's not like I believe they were real people. I just want to see how the game was coded. Yeah, to and it. I went to extremes. Like, I went all around the game and, like, would try to push stuff around to put mm-hmm. it, like, in front of, like, Lord British so that I could attack him from afar. And like I even I think at one time I grabbed a cannon and rolled it down the aisle and tried to blow him away with a cannon. And so and actually, I, I think that might have worked. I, I know in Ultima and, Six, I think I managed to kill Lord British, and I think the way I did it and it involved that too. I, I I pushed a chest in there, and you could actually push Lord British into the chest and close it. Oh, and then you blew the and chest then I take the chest and I like. Put it out on the water somewhere or something like that, and then I I pushed a cannon out there and it shot the cannon at the chest and it and it disappeared. So Lord Bridges was dead. He didn't come back. Uh, it didn't really say I killed him or anything like that. He was just gone. Oh you know? man, oh, that's funny. So we could you no longer win the game once you killed Lord British in Ultima Six. I never won that game anyway. I never could. Uh, I just I just simply couldn't. Um, so that brings yeah. up an interesting an interesting question. So I won um, Ultima Three. Four, five. I don't think I ever won six, and I know I never won seven or eight. Uh, what about you guys? I never even played seven or eight. I never won any of them. I, I usually just enjoyed playing them. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, uh, I was, and I, I don't want to talk about this in a second, but I was, I was like addicted level, like with Ultima three. Like I could not stop playing it. In fact, I would stay up till like three or four. In the morning oh, we did many playing, times. playing Ultima, trying to win that game, and. I think you won it before I did, and when I came over to your house, one of the times I came over to your house, um, you kind of guided we me went back through the through last it. few yeah. steps, yeah, so yeah. that I could win it. And I actually it. have to say, with Ultima three, um, and maybe even some of the later Ultimas, but I know with Ultima three, I actually resorted to um, there was a, a I, people remember like Fidonet, um, but I actually got on there and found some guy who explained how like the last two or three steps worked because I don't think I would have ever figured it out if I hadn't if I hadn't read that. I I won three, then I I almost won four, but I got stuck at some point. There was like a secret door or something I couldn't find in one of the dungeons, and then five came out, so I started playing five, and I got a hint book that you you had. 
that you could buy yeah, uh, because yeah. there was no internet. Um, and so anytime I got stuck, I used the hint book with like, if I got lost in a dungeon or whatever. And then later I went back and one for like with a fresh pair of eyes, I found the last dungeon, got the last stone and, and went into the abyss. And so I had, I won three, four, five and didn't have a computer for a long time um, until you helped me get the AST computer uh, around <laughs> ni- 1996. And I tried to go back and play the, the Ultimas, but at that time, like they were kind of outdated you know, even as far back as 96, like uh, I think eight had just come out and I did go ahead and win eight, but seven, six and seven, I just couldn't play. Like well, it just seven, were too rough. Seven was in two parts, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. Serpent Isle. Part one and part two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, that that's interesting because that, that's kind of a, a tie into the story I wanted to tell. Um, I, so when I was uh, younger, again, knew nothing about RPGs, knew nothing about Dungeons and Dragons. And then you introduced me to Standing Stones and then from there, Ultima mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And I played a lot of those games. I know you played a bunch of other ones like Bard's Tale and some things like that that I never really got into. But I took a hiatus from most all of those games because I got into like Doom and uh, Duke Nukem 3D and, and you know right. games like that. Those, More action-oriented. Action games, yeah. And I also – that was also at a point in my life where I was, I was a teenager and I didn't have a whole lot of time to play games because I was going out with friends and girlfriends and all of those types Must of things. Must have been things. nice and, to have friends yeah. and girlfriends. so so then i got back into rpgs in my i guess it would be in my 30s late 30s i guess when when i started playing world of warcraft and i didn't start playing world of warcraft Mm. until it had been out for four or five years so i was kind of late to the game but i got like hooked on world of warcraft i was doing the same damn shit i would stay up till three in the morning playing it and then have to get up to work the next morning and uh and all of that but that game was the first game, I think, that taught me what Dungeons & Dragons was like in a lot of people's heads. And I'm going to explain that. I think it's really important. A lot of people talk about how they like to read books and and they because they think that the image that they create of the whatever in their mind is way better than what somebody could create in a movie. And my brain doesn't work that way. I think about things... Like when I think when I read like like if I read the Star Wars like a book on uh, Star Wars Episode One I'm just gonna be thinking about the movie in my head because I don't like create these fantasy worlds. So World of Warcraft was like the fantasy world that I never realized could exist. <laughs> Somebody created it for right, me. Right, the graphics got good enough. Yeah, exactly. And so I just played the hell out of that game, and I was just like. I felt like I was just kind of living in in that new universe, and I'm sure. That that's how a lot of people felt when they were playing Dungeons and Dragons and and even probably Ultimas and stuff like that because they were imagining like I'm just playing it and watching what's on the screen and that's the game to me right but yeah. I know a lot of people's brains don't work that way they're thinking about what's what it could be like yeah. I'm not and I'm just wondering if you guys relate to that at all I'm more like you like when I played Ultima the characters I saw were little pixelated you know things on the screen and that that was that was the game you know. Probably why I didn't mind killing the townsfolk because, <laughs> to me, they were just little computer graphics, you know. Uh, Blow it away, kill them. <laughs> you know, because you know, I suppose if I'd been imagining them as real people, then maybe I would have been more compassionate towards them or something. Yeah. Like that. Poke seven five three four eight comma twenty five or whatever, and that You're character's gone. gone. <laughs> what about you, Craig? See, I, I, um, my adolescence was difficult and my strategy to that was to escape. And some of that was on the computer, but some of that was in fantasy books. So again, my dad had gotten me the Hobbit 
Um, so I got totally into Lord of the Rings. I read the, the, the trilogy, which is the trilogy after the Hobbit, which is the grandfather of fantasy role playing. You know, if you even the early D&D books, they, they did take some stuff from Greek myth and things like that or Babylonian, but they also took a lot from Lord of the Rings, like the, the way they describe elves and orcs and things like that. And so I escaped into those books. And so I was already seeing the fantasy worlds in my head. And so Dungeons and Dragons was just a way to make that social with other people. Like you had some rules where it wasn't just make-believe. It's not just like, you know, pow, pow, you're dead. Or I swing my sword, you're dead. No, I'm not. I, I dodged out of the way. The dice and your stats could resolve all that for you. So, you know, you were talking about whether dungeon masters were fair. If you had a good one, they'd let the dice and your character stats resolve things instead of them just making an arbitrary yeah. judgment. And I always say, even with my kids, my kids are learning to DM. I'm like, you may have an idea of how something should turn out, but at least give the players a chance to roll the dice to try it. Maybe they'll get really lucky. If it's not something impossible for them, it's just unlikely. Maybe they'll get it and surprise you and you'll just have to deal with it, but they'll feel like they have agency. They're part of the story. They can get things done. But I think I mentioned this to you a few months ago, when I was playing Ultima, it's like, yeah, sometimes I just saw a little white pixelated Lord British going around and I'd shoot him with the cannon and he'd blow up or whatever. Uh, I used the, the pirate ship in Ultima 3 to, to kill Lord British. He could, you, could, you could coax him. If you attacked him, you could coax him out or, <laughs> or no, you'd have to kill somebody else. Then he would chase you out to where there was a pirate ship and then you could, you could take it over and shoot him. But I also, I think I mentioned this to you a few months back, like, I would also sometimes look at the maps in Ultima 3 or 4 and imagine what that landscape, it would be a lush grasslands with horses on it. And it would be See, mountains never, in the distance. never and did that. I, I didn't always do it, but sometimes I would kind of be like, what would this be like in the real world? What would what would Britannia be if I actually was, was the avatar visiting it? And I would kind of imagine that um, when I was playing the game or just thinking about the game later on. And so I had a very active, story-driven, you know, imagination even as a kid. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, I so I, I am, I'm on like the. I guess if there's like two sides of the a book, I'm on the opposite cover on that one. That's uh, yeah. that's really, that's really interesting. I know, and I know a lot of people, a lot of people are more in your your camp, and um, I think that's why um, I never read a lot of fiction books as a kid. I now I read a ton of. Uh, you know, like Peter Norton's assembler <laughs> or stuff like right. that. But I nuts never and bolts read any kind of things. Yeah, yeah, nuts and bolts kind of stuff. But I never read much. I mean, I did read some fiction. I read like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and and I really enjoyed that. And I did, uh, you know, think about what it might look like. And I have to tell you that I, I think the the actual movie is way better than what <laughs> I that I dreamed them up to be. And that yeah. again, that's because I just I don't think I have that creative thing in my head for for those types of like visualizations and imaginations. And this is where I think school did me a disservice because, uh, believe it or not, I did not read a book, like, of my own choosing until I was probably, like, 16 or 17 years old. Wow. Because we had to read books in school for, like, English class and literature class and stuff like that. I had to read, you know, Charles Dickens and William Shakespeare and, and you know, on Tale of Two Cities and, and uh, you know, all these kinds of things. The, to be honest, they didn't grip me, right? I, in fact, it was a struggle to read those books because I would read, like, a page and I'm like, 
what did I just read? I was thinking about something else because this is so boring. Let me go back and read it again. And uh, because school made us read these books and we didn't really get, get like a choice or anything, I just thought books were boring. Yeah, you know, and, it's, um, it's funny you say that because my my the story I just told is is, is directly related to that. And, and I remember being in school, and I don't remember what grade it was, but I remember this conversation, and it was the, the teacher wanted us to read. We had, like, this choice of five books to read, I think, and every kid had to pick one of the five books, and it was like, I don't know, I'll make something up, kill, To Kill the Mockingbird or, you know, some books like that, right? And um, the Scarlet Letter, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, um, I asked her, I said, is there any other books that I can read, something I'm actually interested in? And, um, and she, and she's like, well, what kind of book would you want to read? And I actually told her, I said, well, I've started reading the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'd like to finish that. And she goes, that's not real literature. <laughs> you know? So if it was uh, science fiction and nerdy, that wasn't a good enough book, you know? Right? Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, how times have changed, but <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'll give you a similar story. Although mine ends on a, on a happier note. Uh, I think it was a sophomore in high school and first day of English class, uh, my English teacher had a big, uh, like, bookshelf in her room, huge, it was just full of books. And she would say, uh, when we came in, it's like, you know what? I, I want everybody to go up to that shelf and pick a book, and you're going to read it. And then, you're, like, do a report over it or whatever. And so I'm like, okay, you know, what kind of boring book am I going to find now? <laughs> and a lot of these books have been donated, you know. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I looked through there, and all of a sudden I found there was a Star Trek book. And I'm like... Hmm. Sold. Okay. And it was it was the original series. It had Kirk and Spock and all that. Actually, I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was a novelization of one of the animated series of Star Trek, which I didn't know this at the time. Mm -hmm. It was called Yesteryear. Uh, so it's actually one of the better of the horrible animated series that they made back in like the 70s or whatever. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was an independent novel about Kirk and Spock and, you know, and all that. Anyway. But I was hooked. I was like reading this and suddenly for the first time in my entire life, I'm like 16 or 17 years old, first time in my entire life, I'm actually enjoying reading a book. Because it was and something then, you were interested um, in. Yeah. And so that actually led me to read other books. So I did wind up reading The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and I read the Red Dwarf novels and then eventually got into the stuff like, you know, in later in life, read Harry Potter and, <clears throat> you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, so, yeah, I felt like school did me a disservice because they never introduced me to material that I was interested in. Um, and uh, that one teacher did uh, by sheer accident. But <laughs> yeah, nevertheless. Yeah. So. So, 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 Craig, I have one more story that I think you can, can relate to um, okay. along the lines of, of how computers and, and how you know, role-playing games and all that kind of merged. And it was um, – I had been playing like um, – uh, uh, I'm just going to lose the name of it here. Uh, Mech Warrior, and what was the one that mm -hmm. was similar to that um, that had had a much bigger following? Was it Battletech or Battletech? Or Battletech, which that was a miniatures game at first too. Exactly, and still and is. So that's yeah, you're running day. my story. <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, no, it's okay. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So I had been playing those on the computer and 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 multiple different versions of it. I played. I can't tell you how many different you know ways through. I think you know, I remember you playing those those games. Yeah. Yeah. They and then one day you said, "Hey, Mike, let's go to Forum Three Hundred Three Mall." And so um, we went to Forum Three Hundred Three Mall, and you took me into this store called Collector's Corner, and right. all of these computer games that I had been playing much to my surprise, 
were all come to life on the shelves in front of me, and there were figurines and miniatures for all of these games. I had no idea this world existed. And I was, like, baffled because, you know, and here's what really sucks. I'd probably walk past that store, like, a thousand times (laughs) and never went in it because I didn't know what it was and and had no interest. I thought that was, like, like an old people's store or something. I mean, I didn't know. But, yeah, all of those games – like the like the real world tabletop versions of all of those games and all the stuff yeah. that went with it had been there the whole time and I didn't know it. <laughs> I remember that store too. I was a little younger, so my, my memory's a little vague. I seem to recall that the exterior of the store looked like a castle it or did, something yeah. like that. Yeah, and it had and, it, and the front of it it had like um, like all these uh, like crystals and stuff yeah. like that. And so I thought mm-hmm. it was like an art store or something. Yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. think it was. Well, I don't know like, if you remember. It originally was a small comic book shop just down over by the movie theater at, collect, at uh, Forum 3 of the Mall. So it was a tiny little comic book shop, and they started as that. And then they moved into the bigger location and made the castle brick around the side and started carrying all the things that I liked. Crystals, little dragon figurines, D&D books, fantasy books, comic books. All of it. it was like a one-stop shop for anything nerd. Like you just yeah, could yeah. hang out Somewhere. there. So I was there all the time. I have a box with like probably ten different things that I bought from Collector's Corner. It's in a, it's in a storage box somewhere, and I know there's a crystal in there and some other things. Oh, you need to find yeah. that. That is. I awesome. know I have it somewhere. If I'd have thought about this podcast and that we were going to talk about that, I would have definitely went and searched for it. <laughs> Unfortunately, for those like listening, to... uh, Collector's Corner and the entire mall it was um, based in has been demolished years ago. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Moment of silence for Forum 303. Moment of silence. Moment of silence. I'd like to go back to something David said like early on when talking about role-playing games like um, pencil on paper versus the computer. And David's thought was, well, the computer is like this um, non-arbitrary rule system that's going to be fair when you're playing it and it's going to build the world and everything. And that's true to a certain degree. Um, and so in your mind, David, the computer was an upgrade over pen and paper role-playing <laughs> games um, because oh, the computer could kind of do all this for you. But there's a certain irony here. Um, and some people probably know that, a little bit about the history of this. Um, computer games went back and influenced role-playing games and actually, you know, first was kind of a threat for the reasons you mentioned, David. Like some people like, I just want the computer to do all this stuff for me. I don't want to learn the rules. I don't want to come up with a story. I don't want to learn a module and stuff like that. I just want to play, right? And so Dungeons and Dragons, um, you know, it was TSR. And then they got bought by Hasbro. And then uh, they had different versions of the the rules. And about the time D&D 3.5 had been out for a while, role-playing games in in general had been struggling. this might have been late 90s, early 2000s, I would say. And so what D&D tried to do is they go, okay, well, people are into World of Warcraft and, and Ultima Online and all this online stuff. So we'll, what are we going to do? We're going to have people use miniatures. You, you could always use miniatures with D&D because it came from Chainmail. Mm-hmm. It was a miniatures yeah. game originally, but you didn't have to. Well, D&D 4th Edition was like, we're going to make this as much like World of Warcraft as possible. We got to save the genre. Because they were, they were on the verge of going out of business because of computer stuff. Um, and so they made D&D 4th edition. And it, uh, the old school players hated it. <laughs> like, 
all the play- people that had played <laughs> D&D 1, 2, no and 3 surprise. were like, what is this crap? Like, you couldn't play the game without a map and without little figures and things like that. Um, but it kept it limping along. But then I think another thing happened. Um, a lot of people got into what are known as open world computer role playing games, right? And well, I'd say it's a combination of things that that probably happened. People got into things like Skyrim or before that Morrowind and Oblivion or Fallout or and, and all those are role playing games. They have hit points and stats and attributes and there's a certain amount of luck involved and and all of that. And you advance your character and there's a story to it and everything. And I, I love those games, but what started happening was um, about right before fifth edition came out, people were like, well, I like this open world stuff where I can just, there's, there's not a beginning, middle and end. I'm just going to go out and have adventures, which guess what? That is the way a lot of people that didn't use modules and stuff. People like me made D and D work. We're just like, you're in a, you're, in a um, an inn, and you see two orcs and a dwarf talking, or you're in you're in a jungle, and you hear something off to the side, and you know you guys know each other because you've been traveling this jungle for days, you know, and you just make up a scenario, and then the players just get to decide we're we're just going to go off in this direction and follow the story wherever it goes, and the DM sort of makes it up as they go along. So I think people got interested, perhaps they got interested in D and D again because it was a less of a linear thing. It's like, well, I like the open world stuff of games. Um, could that apply to pen and paper? The other thing for me through all of this was the social aspect of D&D. It was a way for me to kind of learn social skills and, and you know, enjoy my friends and things like that. And so yeah. when- You know, that's that's really kind of fascinating to me, Craig, because one of the things that really wrapped me up and like, you know, tied a bow on it as far as it goes with um, uh, World of Warcraft was the fact that it was this big, giant, open world. And I could play the game, and I did play the game a lot, and I went on dungeon raids and, and all those types of things too. But if I wanted to just take my uh, character and um, go out and sit on just the lake off into the woods and, and fish, you know, and, 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 and do all of the – make a little campfire and eat dinner and, and do all of those things, I could do that. And so the open world aspect is one of the things that really sucked me into that game. Um, and I think probably if I had had a little bit more open mind as a child, I probably would have gotten sucked into Dungeons & Dragons. But I, I, was, I was at a place, you know, where computers were my thing and – and, and I right, think I did, right. to some degree, feel a little bit like David did, where it was, um, hey, I'm playing the next level thing of this. Why would I want to go back to that? And I didn't realize at the time, you know, too young and too immature and no wisdom and, and any of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, fa- f- uh, fascinating. And then eventually the other thing that I think saved D&D right before 5th edition came out, and just all of these games, like I play a lot of stuff that's not D&D. I play Cypher and Numenera. I play Rain and I played GURPS and Vampire and all this stuff, but um, they were all kind of struggling at this time, but video got so much better. Um, and so people would just get fascinated by watching YouTube videos of people playing role-playing games, pen and paper role-playing oh, wow. games. And of course, <laughs> Will Wheaton has his own show now. Um, isn't he part of a Geek and Sundry? And he's got a whole series of where he just sits down with his friends or guest stars and stuff. And they just play some role-playing game. Um, 
and people watch it. And so all of a sudden everybody's buying these games again. And so it's become a complete renaissance. Like all this stuff has come back and all these new games have appeared. D&D 5th edition was a big hit. It's a, it's a really good system. <laughs> so, and it's just have a funny computer yeah. damaged the role-playing games, influenced it. Like it was influenced by role-playing games and then it resurrected it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I didn't know they were doing that. Um, I, I do have a funny uh, anecdote to that too. And it's uh, one of the last conversations I had with my dad before he got his dementia and all of that um, about this right. type, type of stuff is I remember this so vividly. Uh, we were talking about watching people play like like uh, computer games on YouTube. like, um, And um, it was around one of my sons wanted to start a YouTube channel playing video games. And my dad was like, who would want to watch somebody play something else and not be part of the game? And I'm like, football because <laughs> yeah, right. he was a big time into, into football but yeah. i can totally see i can totally see how people would get excited and interested in watching other people play um you know like these tabletop games and just be a, a spectator because you know sometimes people have way better ideas than i do about what should happen or the next move they're going to make and things well, like and that it, i can totally yeah. see that there's a lot so, of humor and joking around and stuff that's fun yeah, so my daughter, that's what she watches primarily on YouTube. She watches a few different creators that uh, – she doesn't watch my channel. Uh, <laughs> but she watches people play video games, usually Minecraft and stuff like that. And, you know, I've tried uh, watching some of that stuff, and I'm just like, how can anybody find this interesting? And I guess, like Mike said, the analogy of football is perfect because I've never found any kind of sports interesting because I'm always like, why do I want to watch somebody else throw the ball around? I'm not involved with it in any way whatsoever. Um, I just, I just don't find, I don't see the entertainment value in it where, I mean, clearly, obviously a lot of, uh, big portion of the general public does, but I, I don't. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely no different than watching somebody play a computer game. And there's a reason they call it esports, right? So. Yeah. 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 Esports. Exactly. (laughs) Watching games on, on YouTube or whatever is kind of another form of esport, I guess, or tabletop sport. I tell you what, I'm going to totally, I'm going to totally Google that. I'm going to YouTube that uh, when I get some time and see what people are playing. And I may, I may watch a few of them. That's a, that's an area of entertainment that I have not explored. Well, I think we're um, at sort of the end of our time for this episode. Do you want to kind of wrap us up and, and roll us off? Um, I guess I don't really have anything else. I guess that's that's the the end of uh, episode four. And thanks everybody for uh, listening or watching us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as we always mention at the end, if, if you want to watch us on video, hello everyone. We are on YouTube um, on the Geek Bits podcast, Indeed. but we're also available on uh, many of the uh, platforms such as Spotify and uh, iTunes and Google Podcasts and all of those. So see you in the next episode. <laughs>